Team, thanks again uh, for leading worship today. It's my favorite song. I got a chance uh, to review uh, the song that was going to be played right before I got up to speak, and I thought, wow, what a, what a great song. Um, it's kind of been an anthem of mine. Uh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We could just end there. Um, I was a prisoner, and now I'm not, because <clears throat> with your blood, Jesus, you bought my freedom. Um, so my response is just hallelujah for the cross. He loves me, and he knows me. And he's with us here today. Man, it's good to be here with you all this morning. Again, as Phil shared, my name's Bill Letcher. I am the uh, somewhat new, as of March 1st, Director of Connections and Community Life here at UBC. Um, my family and I, we started attending almost a year ago, the week after Mother's Day last year, and we started attending. Um, and can I just say thank you for welcoming us, even before I joined staff, thank you for welcoming uh, my wife and I and our four kids here to this church body. Um, we love it here, and we know that God's called us here. Um, and through the process of uh, last fall and even into this spring, um, was hired here to join staff. And I love connecting people. So part of my job is connecting people um, who are interested in uh, taking the next step of salvation, knowing more about Jesus, um, baptism, membership, um, getting into groups, however you want to become connected um, here to the local church body and to Jesus, um, I get to help facilitate those. So again, I'm thankful to be able to be here um, and to be here on staff um, I joined, uh, again, March 1st, and again, thankful to be here. Um, I counted a blessing to serve here, to use my gifts and abilities and passions and talents, again, for the purpose of helping people, um, helping us to make wholehearted followers of Jesus who know Jesus um, and then make him known in the world in which he's called us to. Um, we, again, we want to say, uh, I want to say happy Mother's Day um, to all the moms that are out there. Um, again, it's a joyous occasion where uh, hopefully once a year you don't have to cook lunch. And I want to recognize two moms, uh, particularly, other than if I'm not recognizing you today, I'm sorry, you're special to me, um, but I want to recognize two moms particularly. One is my mom, um, who almost 50 years ago birthed me, um, and she and dad were just godly examples um, and had us in church um, from day one, and just we were allowed uh, to grow up um, in a church that taught God's word, and I'm so thankful for that. My parents were first-generation Christians. They trusted Jesus in their early 20s, and so as they, our kids, you know, my sister and I came along, um, they were like, you know, what do we do? Like, we want to raise them um, to, to know Jesus more. We just don't exactly know how that's done. So there were people in my home church um, down in northern Kentucky who did that, and I'm so thankful for those people who invested in my parents' lives. And every once in a while, I get to go back um, to visit them, uh, to visit at, uh, the people there at uh, my church, my home church, and I'm just thankful for ones who walked alongside my parents uh, during those uh, early years of their faith. Uh, about five years ago, mom met Jesus, and so she's having a great Mother's Day today. Uh, miss her like crazy, but I know that I'll see her one day again. The other uh, mom in this room that I'd like to recognize is my wife. Um, she uh, is, is a wonderful uh, mom uh, to our four kids, and uh, it's been a joy to walk with you over almost 24 years of marriage. You've stuck with me um, through thick and thin, and I'm thankful for that. Um, but you're an incredible mom um, to our kids, and I'm thankful that um, they get to have you as a mom. So enjoy this journey, and as you say, on this crazy life um, that God has brought us on. So happy Mo Mother's Day, and yes, we're doing something for lunch for you. Kids, we're doing something for mom for Mother's Day today. <laughs> so when we get home, you guys are starting lunch. <laughs> I want to give a quick update on this building. Some a really neat thing happened last week. Um, a quick timeline for, again, the new 
building expansion that we've been part of. Uh, quick timeline, in January of 2022, uh, there was a Builders for Christ conference here at UBC, and it really cemented the relationship that we were going to have with them to ha have them uh, help us to produce the space in which we're at right now. Um, May 2022, that's just 12 months ago. This whole area was just a pile of dirt. Um, and they started, uh, we had a groundbreaking, dug the, the trenches and the footers and walls started going up and trusses. Uh, we had the worship on the slab. Uh, Caleb was, uh, and his wife were in service last, their last service. And I remember um, just looking at that, and again, it's just kind of an open expanse, but there was a cross right there. And I came in after that worship night and snapped a few pictures. And it just reminds me of the progress that has taken place here in this building. Um, the foundation was laid, the Builders for Christ teams came um, and really helped us uh, blitz through a lot in four months. Uh, the UBC family helped uh, take part in that as well. We hired Rick Utenis, who's just been a joy to be around, um, and he helped us so much and continues to do a lot here. So just a few weeks ago, uh, March 2023, we were granted a uh, temporary occupancy permit uh, approved by Greene County, which allowed us to have our first services here in this space uh, March 12th. That was only 10 weeks ago. 10 weeks ago, we all celebrated, dedicated the space and everything like that. It seems like it was forever ago. Um, but some really neat things happened last week. So as of May 2023, just this past week, we have received a building occupancy which has been approved for Greene County. That's what this means. Um, and I got this from Ed and Harry, so it's got to be correct. <laughs> the term certificate of occupancy or final build, which the inspectors signed last week, means that this building is in complete compliance with current building codes and has met safety standards indicating that this building is suitable for condition, is in suitable condition for occupancy. Can we praise the Lord with that? We're praising God together for his goodness and his faithfulness as we get to use this space to let more people know about Jesus. If this is your first time here at UBC, thanks for coming today. Men, again, you could have been staying home, figuring out where to take your wife uh, or mother or whoever, a special lady in your life out for Mother's Day, but you chose to be here. Um, thank you for being here today. If you're new to the church or really new to church, um, in a really long time, thanks for being here. Uh, maybe someone brought you this morning. Maybe you just felt the desire in your heart that I need to be in church today. Thanks for joining us. We're very appreciative that you did that. If you can let us know by filling out those welcome cards. And again, just get to know some people around here. And again, we're glad that you're here. I hope your time here today is very encouraging, um, very informational, and maybe just a little bit inspirational of some things that we'll talk about as we get into this morning's message. I hope that you find this church full of people who are truly trying to get to know more about God and trying to make him known in the world that's around us. If you're watching online or watching this at a later date, again, thanks for joining us. Um, if you have any questions, whether you're online watching this or if you're here in the room, um, reach out to us on the church website. Again, there's lots of different ways that you can contact us because we'd love to be able to answer some questions um, and help connect you here to UBC. We think it's a great place to be, and I hope that you will as well. And again, we're glad that you've joined us. So here's what we're going to do this morning. Um, here's what to expect. If you're new, here's typically what we'll do on a Sunday morning service here at church. We're going to read through a Bible passage today found in the book of Acts chapter 19. 
We're going to make a few observations and comments as we kind of walk through that passage together. And then at the end, I'll share three personal applications or takeaways um, for each one of us to have when we leave. And I've kind of affectionately named those applications things. It's kind of like a to-do list. Um, Here's some things that we feel like um, will help you to grow in your relationship with Christ and things that you need to do spiritually. These are just options for you to do. Uh, But again, we're really encouraging people to take these things to heart. During this past year on Sunday services here at UBC, we've been going through the New Testament book of Acts. Today is week 45 in the series. We've been going through this ever since we've been attending back last May um, and even before that. And these aren't all in sequential. We've taken breaks along the way. Um, But this is, again, week number 45. The author of the book of Acts that we find in the New Testament um, is actually a man named Luke. And he wrote two books of our New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, which records the life um, of Jesus Christ um, in his death, burial, and resurrection. And then he also wrote the book of Acts, and that records the events surrounding the beginning and early events of the early Christian church. Last week, Jason Jason shared an overview of the book of Acts. So today, I want to summarize his overview um, and, and to boil that down some today. The outline of Acts can be found um, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus, having just risen from the dead and is now getting ready to go back to heaven, he tells his disciples this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So the disciples go and they do just that. And this is what we see in the rest of the book of the Acts of the Apostles and the actions and and things that took place in the life of the early church. Um, I will say this is the uh, most extensive study that I've done in the book of Acts, most thorough study, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it, um, going through it each week, but also having the chance to study it out more in depth um, and present this morning. The Apostles go and they make uh, witnesses, they are to be witnesses, Um, And the book of Acts is, again, broken up into these different sections. Their first witnesses in Jerusalem, and that's found in chapters 1 through 7. There are also witnesses in Judea and Samaria, chapters 8 through 12. And they're witnesses to the ends of the earth, found starting in chapter 13 and through 19, where we're at today, and on into the rest of the book of Acts. Significantly, in chapter 8, we are introduced to a man named Saul who got a name change after a life-changing encounter with Jesus himself. We know him as the Apostle Paul. And this man, Paul, is used by God to spread the good news about Jesus and to do what Jesus commanded, which was to make disciples. Each week here at UBC, when we're going through a message, we always like to start off with the big idea. What's the big main point that we want to start off with? Last week, toward the end of chapter 18, as Jason was teaching, we met a man named Apollos. He was an educated man, a follower of God, and he was very filled with passion. Yet, he didn't quite have, when we first meet him, he didn't quite have a complete understanding of all that Jesus had done and commanded. So Paul's friends, Priscilla and Aquila, took him aside gently and explained the word of God more accurately to Apollos. After this, Apollos wanted to share this uh, new part of the message of the gospel um, with the people then who lived across the Gene Sea in a place called Corinth. 
So last week's message was the big idea was this. God's plan for reaching the world is a process for people in process, just like Apollos. This week, chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, we're going to see Paul, that Paul took a significant amount of time to invest in the lives of people. So today's big idea is this. Helping people become wholehearted followers of Jesus takes time. Helping people to become wholehearted followers of Jesus takes time. So we're going to see that as we look at these uh, first 10 verses of the book of Acts, or chapter uh, 19 in the book of Acts. So let's jump right in. Verse 1, it says this, And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and he came to the city of Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. So, like in previous weeks, never to pass up the opportunity for a good map, let's look at Paul's second missionary journey. We learned in Acts 18 uh, that Paul was in Corinth, and he traveled then east uh, to Ephesus, and eventually on his way back to Jerusalem. This is his second missionary journey. Along the way, he was planting churches and strengthening believers along the way. And we would say that this is the end of his second journey. So when then he leaves Jerusalem and travels north to Antioch um, to start, uh, that begins what we call the start of Paul's third missionary journey. And the, third, and the next slide talks about a quick picture of what that third missionary journey, the beginning part of it, looked like. Paul continued traveling west from Antioch, and eventually he makes it across to uh, the city of Ephesus. Um, he went west um, then to Corinth, and uh, a, place, a place where Paul had previously went on his second missionary trip. The text tells us that he traveled over land rather than by boat, since Ephesus, even though Ephesus was a port city, um, his route was through the inland country. So as you can see, he went up um, north there. Um, he could have taken boat, because again, Ephesus was a port city, but he went up that way. What was he doing? He was uh, visiting the churches that he had already visited um, and strengthening those believers who were there. Um, when it says that he went uh, the upper way, it says that uh, this is an alternative route through the higher, uh, higher in elevation country and to the churches that Paul started on his previous missionary journeys um, in that general region of South Galatia. Um, and it also says that in the city of Ephesus, he found some disciples. So let's move on to verse 2. And he, Paul, said to them, to these disciples, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul, in his car, hits the brakes. And there's this screeching of tires. Paul's like, what? Like, don't you know this? The disciples that Paul found in Ephesus were believers in Jesus as the Messiah because of John the Baptist's message or possibly even Apollos' message um, in preaching, previous preaching, which we had talked about last week. We know that they were believers because Paul's question assumes that they had already believed. After talking with these disciples more, Paul must have known that they didn't have the complete truth about Jesus and the promise of Jesus of a coming Holy Spirit. Now, we know that regarding salvation, John chapter 6, verse 44 says that people believe in Jesus because the Father, God, draws that person near to himself. 
We think that this is a pretty important work um, and a major work that the Holy Spirit does in a person's life um, in drawing them to himself for their eyes being opened and understanding what salvation, um, what repentance and salvation really is. Have you ever talked with someone and realized that they were missing a key piece of information? The Mother's Day video was probably uh, sparked some memories in your all's mind also. But that there's people who, like, you're talking with them, and after just a short while, you're like, they don't get the whole picture. There's something that's missing. We have two drivers, two teenage drivers in our house. When I was teaching them to drive, explaining things, and they had already gone through driver's ed. I said, kids, there's some important things that are going to take place on your dashboard, the speedometer, different things like that. But every once in a while, because we have older cars, some lights may come on, <laughs> new lights. My children are smiling because this is totally true. Uh, these lights come on. I said, when you have a light that comes on, it's that orange, amber color. I said, yeah, you know, that, that's something to take note of. You know, make sure that you tell me, stuff like that. But I said, if there's a red light that comes onto your dashboard and stays on, um, and even if, I didn't say this first service, but if it starts flashing at you, that's really, really important. Um, but that, so, they'd been driving for a little bit, and one of them comes to me and says, just kind of nonchalantly as they're coming into the house, oh, by the way, there's another dashboard light that came onto the dashboard of my vehicle. What color is it? It's red. How long has it been on? Oh, a couple weeks. <laughs> There's a key piece of information that they just didn't quite remember that, would, that is really, really important um, in noticing that. And it required them to take some action. And this is very important information. Paul realizes that these men, uh, these disciples, they're missing some key pieces of information. And he wants to find out more why and find out more about their beliefs. So verse 3, he says to them, well, into what, bapt or into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. At this point, Paul realizes that they hadn't heard the full truth about Jesus because they were missing some very important information. When John came and he baptized, um, it involved repentance and an expectation of a yet coming Messiah. That's John's, he's the forerunner of Jesus, and his whole job was to say, repent and expect the Messiah's coming. He's coming, um, and that's what he had told people to look toward. These men, these disciples, were doing the best they knew with the knowledge that they had. They were faithful believers of God with what they knew, so we really shouldn't criticize them at all. So Paul did what he always did. He took the time to tell the full truth about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And just like Apollos, they, these disciples, needed to have their theology corrected. They needed to have their theology corrected. Think about this. Paul could have dismissed these people as ignorant or even adversarial toward the true gospel message. But instead, he wanted them to have the full truth about Jesus. Think of someone in your life. Who's someone in your life that you know doesn't have the complete picture about Jesus? Maybe it's just information. Maybe it's someone that God's Spirit hasn't taken the blinders off yet. But think of who that person is. A little bit later on in the message, I'm going to ask you all to actually write down the person's name who you will be thinking of or who hopefully you're thinking of who needs to hear the full message of the gospel. Be thinking of that. We'll come back to that a little bit later on here. Uh, we get into verse 4. 
And Paul said, John baptized, um, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. Apparently, these disciples never got the complete message that they were to be baptized in the name of Jesus. In Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Jesus told his disciples, right before he ascends back up into heaven, to make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey everything that I, Jesus here, had commanded them to do. And this included being baptized in Jesus' name. Their information that they had, they, just, they didn't have all of that information. And so Paul, again, shares that with them. And we find out what their response is in verse 5. It says, On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They realized that they needed to take action and obey Jesus' instructions um, immediately. In Scripture, repentance is the spiritual key to being born again, to being saved. And baptism is an outward expression of this spiritual change. The New Testament really knows nothing about an unbaptized believer. Let me say that again. The New Testament really doesn't know anything about an unbaptized, being okay with an unbaptized believer. To the early church, baptism was the public profession of their faith. You may be here today hearing these words and realizing in your heart, God's, God's tapping on your heart saying, you need to be baptized. You need to be baptized. Ironically, I'm speaking on this baptism today, and for the past months, we've had baptisms in every single service. I think we've had a baptism in every, since March, or March 12th when we opened up. We've had baptisms every service or every Sunday here. Today, the lid's on the tank. You know what? God may be calling some of you all to take that step of obedience in believer's baptism and say, I trusted Jesus a long time ago, but I've never been obedient to do what Jesus, we just read in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, to take that public profession of faith in believer's baptism. If that's you here today, or if you're watching this um, online or at a later time, um, I encourage you, reach out here at the church. We'd love to walk through that process with you, answer any questions that you might have, and be able to celebrate with you believer's baptism, with you going public with your faith and saying, I am a follower of Jesus, and I'm going to obey what he told, me, told us to do. We'd love to help you walk through that. Again, as part person in charge of connections, um, we'd love to walk you through that. So again, reach out to us in the many different ways that you can, and we'd love to have a conversation with you. Let's move on to verse 6. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and in prophesying. And there were about 12 men in all. When the Bible speaks about laying on of hands, it's often mentioned in connection with the Holy Spirit. When Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit clearly came on them. And this became evident in these men's lives in two different ways. One, they spoke in tongues. Tongues, just like back in the book of Acts chapter 2, um, tongues is a real known language that was previously unknown to the person speaking. 
We see that in the book of Acts, where uh, on the day of Pentecost, uh, Holy Spirit comes on the, the people who were there. They speak in tongues, in other languages, and the other people who, had, who were gathering in the city um, from all over the world said, how is it that these people know the language that we're speaking, even though really they would have no way of knowing that language? They're like, we're hearing our own language from where the place we came from. Uh, we're hearing that in our own language. Um, but these men, how would that be? This was a supernatural act of God. The other thing that these men did was they prophesied. And I'm going to say that the prophecy here is just a general way. Um, they prophesied in a general way that they communicated the true, accurate gospel. And whatever their prophesying was, it was verifying the new, empowering relationship with the Holy Spirit in, in their telling of the true message of the gospel. I think that this passage also corresponds, again, to Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit um, was given, was for the purpose of furthering the gospel message of Jesus um, to a predominantly unreached people group. We'll see this later on um, in just a few verses, how we think that that played itself out also. Have you ever traveled somewhere um, and been on the trip um, especially this was way before GPS, and you did not have the complete directions to get to your destination. I see some head shaking. There's a story, we used to go to some church with people when we lived in another state, um, where uh, Mac was his name, and he had a daughter named Marcy, and she was a freshman in college. Central Illinois, and they were driving to Kansas City for her to go to college. Two cars, they're traveling on the expressway. This was like 100 years ago, kids. You know, it's just, you know, back before cell phones, whatever that was. And they're traveling. And he said, sometime between uh, where we left and where we were supposed to arrive, we got separated. And all the parents' hearts just sank. And he said, all she knew was she knew where we were going to, but she didn't know how to get there. She ended up fine. I forgot to tell the rest of the story at first service. But she did make it there. And she's wonderful family. But Max said, my heart dropped because at that point, I didn't know where she was. She was missing some key information that she needed to make it to that destination. He felt lost, um, as well as his daughter, um, and none of us like that feeling. In order to get to your destination, you have to have no missing pieces. Paul took the time to give these disciples the full truth about what a relationship with Jesus truly meant. So my question to you is, do you know anyone who doesn't have all the pieces in order to understand what it really means to be a full follower of Jesus Christ, to be a, a, full, a wholehearted disciple of Jesus? Who's that name that God keeps bringing back to your mind as we're looking at this this morning? Let's continue on in our text. Verse 8. It says, and he, Paul, entered the synagogue and for three months here in Ephesus spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. After the encounter with these disciples, Paul did what he normally did, as we've looked in the book of Acts, when he entered a city, he went, found the synagogue, and he began to tell people about Jesus. What a mark on the man's life that just talk about Jesus everywhere that he goes. For three months, he was allowed to speak in this synagogue, and he was allowed to speak several times. History has some discrepancies on, on exactly the, the ebb and flow of every synagogue, but what we know is, is that they were allowed to have guest speakers, lecturers, come in and present and speak um, the scriptures. 
Paul did it in such a way that they kept letting him do that, which I'm assuming was, was an unusual kind of thing. But he kept uh, able to be able to be speaking as he was doing this. Um, this itself shows um, a degree of openness to the gospel for the people in this synagogue that they had. And it also gives us an insight into Paul's God-given abilities in reason and logic as he shared the truth about Jesus. It says that he spoke about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God um, in Scripture was a central key teaching of Jesus' day. Um, look at uh, the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus was talked about the kingdom of God. Um, uh, John the Baptist talked about the kingdom of God yet to come. Jesus talks about the kingdom of God as here now. It was a central theme of his preaching. And it refers to the reign of God in human lives that's happening right now. Um, and that's what Paul talked about, again, for these three months. Verse 9, but when some people there became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, Paul withdrew himself from them, and he took, took those disciples with him and reasoning daily with them in this place called the Hall of Tyrannus. Some people listening to Paul uh, hardened, uh, their hearts became hardened and disobedient because they weren't willing to follow or really believe the full truth about uh, what it meant to be a follower of Jesus and who Jesus was. And I'm reminded um, of, the, of the New Testament writers, Matthew and Mark, and how they both record a parable of Jesus, um, the parable of the seeds and the sower. And m many of you may be familiar with that. And how seed um, is cast on different, four different type, types of soil. Um, and Jesus, in explaining the passage, says, these are four different types of people or four different kinds of ears that the word of God falls on. And it record, again, this story uh, records how Jesus told about God's kingdom words and how it falls on different kinds of ears. This group of people, their unbelief caused them to speak out against the message and the messengers of the gospel. The verse here uses the term the way. Luke uh, uses this term several times in speaking about the Christian movement in the first century. In my study for uh, going through this passage, I ran across someone who said this, um, part of the reason for their rejection of what Paul's message was. The true message of the gospel is so radically different from the exclusivism and performance-oriented mindset of Judaism that there was really no common ground possible if the basic tenets of the gospel were rejected. The basics of the gospel really weren't compatible with what the people in the synagogue's mindset. They truly had unbelief. And not only that, but their hearts were hardened. I go back to what Pharaoh and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And not only were they quietly opposing the gospel and Paul's message, it says that they began to speak evil of the way. They actually like, said, you're doing this for wrong motives. That, you know, this is an evil sort of thing, equating it um, to Satan himself. They spoke evil, evil of the way, and they influenced a lot of people there in the congregation. Some people didn't uh, accept that. We must remember this, and I shared this the last time that I spoke um, in another, uh, regarding the, another part in the book of Acts. Paul poured his heart out for these three months in the synagogue. He wanted ba so badly for people to accept the message of Jesus and truly become a disciple and follower of him. We have to realize, too, 
not everyone will listen when we go to invest in their lives and disciple them and ultimately ask them, do you want to be a follower of Jesus? Like, are you a follower of Jesus? Not everyone will listen, but some will. Not everyone will listen to that. And really, it's not our job to pick and choose who will listen. That's God's responsibility. But just remember, not everybody's going to listen to that, and you may face opposition and people calling you evil and whatever it might be for sharing the gospel. Not everyone will listen, but some will. And Paul, when he shared the gospel through the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, their eyes were opened, the blinders got taken off, um, and they truly became disciples and followers of Jesus, these 12 men. Verse 10, we'll continue on. This continued, Paul, what Paul did, uh, withdrew um, reasoning with them daily uh, for two years. Uh, this continued on for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. For two years, Paul took the time to intentionally reason with and teach these 12 disciples. Paul, most likely because he was a tent maker, um, bivocational kind of person, uh, he earned a wage of some sort, and he most likely used that money to rent out some kind of teaching space like this Hall of Tyrannus, um, so that, and the purpose was so that he could deeply invest in these 12 people's, these 12 men's lives. As a result, the gospel message of Jesus spread throughout all of the area that we now call Asia Minor. Conservative estimates of the population of that time in the area that's mentioned, conservative estimates say that there were approximately 12 million or more people who would have been in that geographic area. That's a lot, a lot of people. So Paul's, because of Paul's investment of time to these 12 disciples, millions, millions of people heard about the gospel for the very first time. The gospel had gone through that area, but because of these 12 that Paul poured his life into, he took the time to do this. Millions of people heard about the gospel. So my question is this. What if each one of us intentionally chose, uh, made the intentional choice to take the time to disciple one person? One person. As I shared before, um, I'd like you to think of who that person is that God wants you to disciple. If you're a believer here, God hopefully has put a name on your heart. Write down their name. Text it to yourself. Share it with the person sitting next to you. Really, write this down because I think it's important that when God um, puts someone on our heart and gives us an action point, that we need to capitalize on that and actually be obedient and take that point, uh, take that action. Um, God has laid someone on your heart. He's laid a person, first service and this service also, um, that I need to just continue to invest in. Helping people become wholehearted followers of Jesus, it takes time. Parents, the person that God may have laid on your heart a disciple may be the one that you tucked into bed last night. Coworkers, you, we all have them. Maybe God's put that person on your heart to say, this is the person that God wants me to disciple, to just talk about Jesus. And you might be saying, Bill, I've been talking with them for years. Great. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. God's the one who has the ability to take the blinders off and to open up their hearts to really see their need for repentance and for them to truly turn um, and accept the free gift of salvation, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Um, not of works so that no one can boast. 
so that the person would be able to come to true faith um, and have that, that piece of information uh, so that they can become a fully wholehearted follower of Jesus. That's our job, is to be able to, to take obedience, to actually step out in faith um, and to continue to invest in people's lives. So the big idea for today, let's put this into some practical ways. I said there was going to be three. So here's the first one. In order to make wholehearted followers of Jesus in taking time, we have to believe that God's timing is always perfect. God's timing is always perfect. As I review this past year and just uh, our participation here with UBC and all the different things that have transpired, the relationships that we've met uh, or that we've had, the people that we've met, um, I can truly say God's timing is always perfect. It's one of the things that Kathy and I have talked about even in our marriage as we've reviewed um, the past almost 24 years now that God has brought us along and the things that we may have chose to happen at a different time slot or a different phase in our life, if that would have happened, oh, we, we look back now and it's like, Lord, thank you that you didn't allow those things to happen early on um, and we're able to experience those things now. What a blessing. Not only, not only uh, blessings of receiving, but also the blessing of withholding things, um, bad things, um, hurtful things, that, uh, that, that we're thankful that God withheld those things. Um, in our lives. God's timing is always perfect. Think of the person's name that you wrote down. Who is it that you think that God wants you to disciple right now? Do you know when the best time to start discipling that person is? This is not rhetorical. When is the best time to start discipling someone? Right now. Right now. Some of you all were in first service because they said the same thing. The time to start discipling people is now. It's today. It's not when I, have a more, when I have more time, it's not when I'm older, when I've completed my degree, once the kids leave, no, no, it, it's now. The time to disciple someone is now. None of us are guaranteed the next day or moment or breath here on earth, not to scare anyone, but just to say the time to do it is now. Reach out to them and say, I think God wants us to be in a discipleship relationship. And when you do, just expect that God's already been working on that person's heart and say, wow, I was hoping that you'd say that. Don't worry about if you don't have enough time or you don't know the right things to say or if the time is right. The time is right. The time to disciple someone and reach out to them is now. It's always a good time to make disciples. God will help you and so will we. Barb, who came up here and gave uh, the prayer uh, in the beginning part of our service. Barb, I love Barb. I've gotten to know her a lot over the past couple months. Um, she's a wonderful lady who leads our women's ministries. Um, does a phenomenal job. One of the things that her and a lady named Leah, they've um, dedicated uh, part of their women's ministries time to discipleship, one-on-one -on -one discipleships. And they right now are beginning um, to connect ladies together, uh, women who have the desire to disciple someone with someone who wants to be discipled. I think that's amazing that we're having a one-on-one, -on -one, again, discipleship going on. Um, if you have interest in that, if you're one of the ladies that are here, reach out to Barb, reach out to us in the office, and we can help get you connected with her. If you just, again, God's burdening your heart that I want to disciple someone, and I might even want to disciple this person because the other lady might be here in the church. A lady after first service came up and came up to me, and she goes, excuse me, where's Barb at? And I pointed over in this direction, um, and she went over there. She was a younger lady here in our church, and I thought, wow, maybe God's working in her heart to say, 
I just want to be discipled. And Barb's the person you told me to go find, so let's go find her. So I'm telling all you ladies, if you have that discipleship desire and you don't really know where to go, seek out Barb and, or seek out us at church and we'll be able to help connect you so that you can enter into doing exactly what Jesus told us to do, which was to make disciples of all people. Second point, second takeaway is this. It's worth our time to take our time to make wholehearted followers of Jesus. Listen, you and I are busier than we've ever been before in our lives. If you're a mom, I heard the silent amen. We can't think of adding on one more thing to our plate. We are maxed out and we are stressed out. Maybe you and I need to have a long talk with the Lord and ask him to redo our schedules. Like me, you've probably added things into your schedule that you believe will meet the deep satisfaction of contentment that your heart really desires. But like drinking salt water, it only leaves us more thirsty. So identify what it is that's keeping you and I from having the time to disciple someone else. Ask Jesus for help to remove that thing, that thing that you treasure so much, to remove that thing from your schedule and intentionally start discipling someone today as God frees up that block of time for you to invest in that person. When I pray, either with our family, people here on the staff, um, I oftentimes ask God to help us to do things that truly count for eternity. Helping people to know Jesus, who know him and make him known, is worth taking the time, and that truly does count for eternity. Third takeaway is this, our to-do list. To remember, God uses his people to accomplish his plan for the world to hear his message. Jesus has called us to be the message proclaimers of the gospel, and this is our time to do this. This is our generation, because if not us, then who? Jesus calls us to boldly go and make disciples here, near, and everywhere. Think about it. Someone took the time, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and a believer in him, someone took the time to disciple you. We here at UBC have identified nine characteristics that every disciple, every follower of Jesus should be doing in some way, shape, or form. We as a church want to do this. We do this generationally and prayerfully and personally, um, all kinds of different ways with our resources, our time, talent, and treasure, all kinds of things. It's his message because we, we live in a lost and dying and hopeless world. We believe that God's given us the truth of the gospel. Why? To tell people about him, to make disciples who again make disciples who make disciples. Let us always be about the time and taking the time to make wholehearted followers of Jesus who know him and then make him known. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for my middle school Sunday school teacher named Tim. I thank you that as an ordinary man who just loved you and loved us as boys, that he took the time every week for several years to just teach us your word. He invested in our lives and me and Donnie and John and Mark, we're all following after you today. 
And I thank you that Tim just took what he had and his love for you, and he poured it into our lives. He was part of that discipleship process. Would you help us that we would be bold in your courage and in the strength that you give us to reach out to that person that you laid on our hearts today? Jesus, if they're not believers, we know that they're on a fast track to an eternity separated from you. Burden our hearts. Help us to be able to lovingly and passionately with all the grace that you've given us and truth to be able to point them toward you. Many of us are filled with fear and inadequacies and all kinds of things. We say that we're too busy. We lay lay those excuses at your feet and truly knowing that when we're surrendered to you, you'll do amazing things. Help us this week that we draw, uh, that, that we would be obedient to you as we see you drawing people to yourself. Thank you that you are our hope and that you give us everything that we need, that Jesus Christ um, is our living hope and truly in him and because of the cross, everything is worth following after you. So thank you for loving Jesus. We lift this song to you in worship and in thanks. And I pray this in your precious son's name, Jesus. Amen.